It's AD 56 or 57, and the setting is Corinth. It's kind of like the Las Vegas of that era. It's a place to relax, a place to unwind, and a place to carouse. In Corinth, there's every imaginable vice. It truly is Sin City. And those who went there usually went for, went for that purpose, except for one man. The man we will be looking at this morning, he's a rather strange person. He's in his late 50s, incredibly weathered, scarred, and he looks years older than his age. Stooped, perhaps hunchbacked, somewhat bow-legged, protruding eyes, and he, he is what we might call unattractive. He's in Corinth for the winter, and he plans to write a letter. He's been longing to go to a place, but because of hindrances beyond his control, he chooses to write a letter. And as this man sat down to write this letter, he couldn't have realized how widely this letter would be read. How in a span of 2,000 years, how it would be analyzed, scrutinized, and criticized. He couldn't have realized the many lives that would be touched and transformed through this letter. Or how that it would be the fuel that would uh, tr the change the, the fuel the revivals of the reformations of, of the history of the church. He didn't know that some 300 years later, a man named Aurelius Augustine would read that letter and then would write the words, For no further would I read, nor did I need to, for instantly as the sentence ended, by a light, as it were, the security infused into my heart, and all the gloom of doubt vanished away. Or that over a thousand years after that, a German monk named Martin Luther would read the letter and then write, This passage of Paul has become to me the gateway of heaven. Or that in the late 1700s, that the heart of an ordained minister named John Wesley would be strangely warmed as Luther's preface to Romans was read. Or that a Bible expositor and moody, Donald Gray Barnhouse, would broadcast over a radio one, me one message a week for 11 years from Romans. No, to Saul of Tarsus or the Apostle Paul, it was just winter, a time for resting, a time for quietness and reflection and a time with God and a time to encourage the believers at Rome. I want to uh, welcome you this morning to this part of our message, or to this part of our service. And uh, I trust that all of you had a, a, good, uh, a good time with family and friends. I want to welcome you also to the first Sunday of 2015. It's amazing how time flies. I trust that you've all enjoyed the food and probably by this point have, have made some weak resolutions. 
So this morning I put some resolutions up there for you. This is the time of year that uh, a lot of people make some resolutions, but these are resolutions that were made by a youth back in the 1700s. And they, they were transforming resolutions. They were made by Jonathan Edwards, who died at age 55. Well, this morning I want to bring each of you back to our study of Romans. And uh, this past four years we have enjoyed, or have journeyed together through Romans. We've, through this letter, we've uh, understand what we've been saved from. We've come to understand who we are in Christ. We've uh, learned what the work of the Holy Spirit is, what it means to be led by God. And... Uh, but what we haven't learned, we haven't learned a whole lot about the writer himself, the Apostle Paul. And this morning, the Apostle Paul is going to kind of peel back the covers, and he's going to allow us to look into his life. Beginning in uh, verse 17 of Romans chapter 15. Now, before we deal with the text this morning, uh, I want to share an author's description of Paul. John Pollock writes, uh, writes this. He says, Paul was steady in times of distress, gloriously happy in the prospect of the future. Prayer was as natural to Paul as breathing. He was a hospitable and a generous man who loved to help people. His love was genuine, unsimulated, and he had a, touched mark, a marked touch of sympathy. He was cheerful, not doing his acts of kindness sanctimoniously or grudgingly or smugly. The humblest Christian found him ready to walk out of his way to do a good turn or to share an experience. Paul had the gift for literally counting every man better than himself. I don't know about you, but when I get to heaven after meeting Jesus, I'd like to meet Paul. You see, it's these kind of magnetic qualities that we see in Paul. It just drew people to him and, I, and uh, just made him contagious. And these are, that's why the verses 17 through 29 of Romans chapter 15 are so important. We're going to discover in these verses three things about Paul that Paul shares about himself. First of all, his thoughts regarding his past ministry and achievements. Secondly, we're going to discover his mission endeavors for the future, his plans. And thirdly, we're going to discover his attitude he had towards ministry. Verse 17, it says, The Apostle Paul, I have therefore whereof I make glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. Paul is saying, I glory or I boast in my achievements and accomplishments in those things which pertain to the Lord. You know, that's a really strange thing for someone who has an incredible humility. The apostle Paul considered him the least of the apostles. So why would Paul say that? Well, Paul is about to share some things that he's accomplished in life. Accomplishments give us 
personal satisfaction and encouragement. You know, a truly humble person does not deny the things that he has accomplished in life. Um, it's a false humility that says, oh, no, I, I really didn't do that, or uh, I don't deserve that. Uh, it didn't happen. And one of the things that uh, I was taught early in ministry, uh, one of the good bits of advice I was given, when you do something well and you do it right or someone compliments you, don't say, ah, oh, it's nothing. Say thank you. Because those words come from being grateful that God uses you to bless others. Solomon writes in Proverbs 13, the desire accomplished is sweet to the soul. It's not just in the spiritual life, but in all of life. This past week I had some vacation, and the organization isn't one of my um, strengths. So I spent a little time out in my shop, putting stuff away, cleaning stuff up. And you know, it was satisfying to finally see my saw table appearing again. It works the same for you guys. Cleaning out your garage, dropping 20 or 30 pounds, finishing high school, getting a degree, teaching a Sunday school class, finishing a, a few terms at a Bible school, giving a, public giving a public speech, finding a job. Those are all things which bring about encouragement, which encourage us. Now, as you know, there's always going to be some people who misunderstand when you rejoice because of things you've accomplished. There's a great example in Scripture. It's found in 2 Samuel 6. Let me give you the context. The ark had been in the enemy hands, and it was returning again to Israel, to Judah, and with it the blessings of God, and David is absolutely thrilled. It says in verse 12, And it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom, and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom and unto the city of David with gladness. And it was so that when it, they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed the oxen, sacrificed oxen and fatlings. I mean, David was so ecstatic, six paces into the city, he stops it, builds an altar, and offers up sacrifice. He's, he's thrilled. He's rejoicing. And it says in verse 14, And David danced before the Lord and with all his might, and David was girded with a linen ephod. Here it is. David's dancing. He's thrilled. And I'm going to let David's wife explain the ephod part. Verse 16, and the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, and Michael, Saul's daughter, this is David's wife, looked through the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and it says she despised him in her heart. It says then in verse 20, it says, and David returned to, I mean, David is thrilled. He's ecstatic. 
And even so, he wants to come back and bless his household. He's, he's in such, um, yeah, he's just thrilled. So he returns to bless his household. And Michael, Saul, daughter of Saul, came to meet David and says, How glorious was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants as one of the vain fellows, shamelessly uncovers himself. Oh, man. Those words were dripping with sarcasm, cutting words, ice cold water. What a sight. The king was dancing half naked. Man, David, you just hit a new low today. Look at what David says. And David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me before thy father. Get the jab. And before all his house, another one, to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord and over Israel. Therefore, will I play before the Lord. Moffat renders this, when I sport in the eternal's presence, I am not honoring myself. What does that have to do with Paul? Everything. You see, when Paul looks back at his life and his achievements, he's thrilled at the things that God has pulled off with his life. It brought him a deep inner, satisfa inner satisfaction. Isn't it amazing how quickly we forget the things that God has done through our life, the victories we've had, the achievements we've accomplished? You know, it would be a good, good time this morning for you just to stop for a moment and, and think about the last year, the last five years, the last ten years. Think about the things you've accomplished in life, the, the lives you've touched, the, the, um, the victories you've had. Just think about that. The things that you've done really, really well. Psalms 103 says, Psalm of David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And look what it says, and forget not all of his benefits. Do you realize those things, that those accomplishments, those victories you've had are part of the benefit of the Lord? And it is right, it is good that we remember, think back, we remember some of the good things that God has done with our life and be thrilled about it. That's right, it's biblical. Now, there's more to this. There's the second part to this that helps us stay balanced when we think about what God has done with our life. That gives us a good, healthy balance to this. Look what it says. For verse 18, For I, I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by, the word, by word and deed. I want you to get this. That everything that God does, he does through us and not by us. I know the King James uses the word by, but if you do your homework and then you look into the Greek, you'll notice it's the Greek preposition dia, and it means through. They are things which God does through us and not by us. It, it, it helps us maintain our humility. We have to remember in the midst of accomplishment, God's unseen hand is 
always active. We need to remember that. Philippians 2 says, For it is God who worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Remember, it is God working in the background that makes those things possible. So the truly great things that are accomplished in thing are our lives are things that God does through us. Illustration time. A little boy went to a church, and this church had a lot of stained glass windows. And in those stained glass windows were some of the saints, St. Matthew, St. Mark, St. Luke, St. John. And uh, one morning as he was in Sunday school class, the teacher asked the class, give me a definition of a saint. And the little boy says, a saint is someone the light shines through. Now, if you stop and think about it, that's really pretty good theology. You see, Paul, as he looked back, he saw God's light shining through him, and it gave him a deep satisfaction, and it thrilled him that God was able to use him. There's a third aspect to Paul as he looks back through his life, and that his accomplishments were real. If you look at verse 18 and 19 together, For I will dare not to speak any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me, but to make the Gentiles obedient by the word and by deed, and through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so from Jerusalem round about unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Paul could look back on his life, and he could point to various churches that had been established. If you look at the Pauline epistles, you'll notice that Paul names people that he has led to Jesus Christ. People who have come to a saving faith. Paul's accomplishments were real accomplishments. There were changed lives that he could go back to and point to the various groups of believers. Now, not only has Paul shown us the depth of his ministry, he's going to show us the breadth of his ministry. You really can't appreciate what Paul verse 19 without a map. So I've given you one. I want you to understand that right there is Jerusalem, and Illyricum is right up into here. In fact, the prefect of Illyricum kind of comes down along the coast into Macedonia as well. Paul is saying, I have fully preached the gospel. I have filled that area with the gospel. He isn't saying he's finished. He's saying the gospel has rang out as I went through those areas. And that's a span of some 1,500 miles that Paul has preached the gospel. What was the driving force behind, uh, behind Paul? What, what drove Paul to kind of be a, a pioneer? He, he tells us in verse 20 what was behind his zeal. He says in verse 20, Yea, so have I, preached to the, I have strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. Then he quotes Isaiah. But as it is written, to whom he... To whom he was, he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they shall, that have not heard, shall understand. 
What drove Paul is he wanted to go to areas that were unreached, where the gospel had not been heard. His desire was not to go to areas where somebody else had already preached the gospel. He felt his calling was to go to areas that nobody had ever heard the gospel. You know, there's a lot of missionaries who like the people who want to do missionary work, but generally they will build upon another man's foundation. There are very few missionaries who have the heart to go where the gospel has never been heard. You see, it, it thrills Paul to lead people to Christ. If you've never led someone to Christ, you probably don't understand what Paul, what drove Paul. And Paul was thrilled when people came to a saving knowledge of Christ. You know, I just want anyone here to understand, if, if you have a desire to go where the gospel has never been preached, that's not a weird desire. <sighs> Paul had that desire. He longed for that. I mean, Paul would understand you. Someone has said of David Livingston, one of the great missionaries, that even at death he was haunted by the smoke of a thousand villages that were still unreached. You know, our problem isn't that we dream t too big. It's our problem is that we dream too little. You know, I'm convinced even as a church here, we, could be, we would be amazed if we put our heart and mind to it, what we could accomplish as a church. I mean, I think it's possible for us to be sponsoring someone, to go forth and be, to be that wedge into unreached people groups. Paul was somebody who dreamed. I want you to see this. For it says in verse 22, For which cause also have I been much hindered from coming to you. He's talking to the church at Rome. But, ha but now having no more place in these parts, having a great desire these many years to come unto you, which whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you. For I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you if first I be somewhat filled with your company. Paul's plan or desire was to, uh, was to go to Spain. Again, if you, if you'd, a map will help you understand Jerusalem is down in here. That's where the church began. Spain is clear over here. Rome is up in here. Paul's dream was to go to Spain, the complete west part of the continent. In fact, the western part of the Roman Empire. His, his dream was to reach Spain. He didn't have any money. He didn't have any friends who were going there. There were no pre-planned accommodations. There was no airport. One thing that Paul had was a desire to tell people about Jesus. That's what made Paul so different. He longed for people to know the Lord in a personal way. 
You know, as a church, we, we have become so focused and preoccupied with, with ourselves. It's, it's, our, it's our church. It's our needs. Our agenda. You know what we're forgetting? We're forgetting there's an entire world out there who's never heard of Christ. And as a church, I, I just think we need to start dreaming. And we need to dream big. Need to dream big. Now there's something else that was equally pressing in Paul's life. If you look at verse 25, it says, But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which were at Jerusalem. According to my resources, there was a famine going on in Jerusalem. That's where the church began. And because of the persecution by the Jews, the Christian men had lost their jobs. They were in dire straits. And so Paul made an appeal to the churches of Macedonia and Achaia to take up offerings, to take back to Jerusalem, and to help the, the Christians in Jerusalem. I want you to see verse 27. Notice what it says. It pleased them verily, talking about the churches of Macedonia and Achaia, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in the carnal things. The churches that Macedonia and Achaia were, were made up of Gentile believers. The church at Jerusalem was primarily Jewish believers. And those churches in Macedonia and Achaia realized it was because of the generosity of the saints in Jerusalem that they had experienced spiritual blessings. And they considered themselves indebted to share with them of the material things they had in their lives. They considered it a, a, a privilege to be able to share with them. You know, one of the ways that all of you can be involved in our ministry as a church is simply by giving. The giving of time, of talent, of resources, of finances. Think about it. All of you, where you are at spiritually in life, is because of what someone else has invested in your life. And you know what? It is not wrong to ask you to give back. To give back. That's a good thing for you to be able to give uh, to give to someone else. Pass it forward. In Matthew, uh, Matthew 6, it says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Paraphrase, that is, what you think is valuable is where you put your time and resources. How much time do you guys put in the eternal things that are going to last beyond things that last for eternity how much time are you investing in the eternal 
It's important. There's a story of a, a father who was passed away suddenly, and some f- someone was trying to comfort his small boy. And they, they told him, your daddy's gone to heaven. And he said, no, no, he hasn't. See, daddy always planned, talked about where he was going, and daddy never talked about heaven. What are you investing in? What are you planning for? What do you value? What do you do with your time? The last thing I want you to see is Paul's attitude. It says in verse 28, And when therefore I have performed this, in other words, he was taking the offering back to Jerusalem, and I have sealed to them this fruit, I will come unto you into Spain. By the way, into Spain. And I am sure that when I am coming to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. So Paul's plan was to go to Jerusalem, afterwards stop at Rome, at the church at Rome, and then from there go to Spain. The words I don't want you to miss are the words, I am sure that when I come, I shall come into you the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Paul had an amazing, positive attitude about ministry. I thought about the, uh, the uh, sign that was uh, in the office of one of our group leaders. It says, everyone blesses us. Some when they come and others when they leave. Paul would have blessed you when he came. He had, an, he had a yes face. He, he, was a, he was a blessing to be around. I thought about the, uh, uh, the time that there was a pastor's conference in a town. And... Uh, a man stood at the checkout of a, of a supermarket, and he kind of had a sour face. And the uh, checkout lady looked at him. She said, uh, are you a pastor? He said, no. I said, I've just been sick for the past week. Isn't, isn't it amazing the, the sour attitude or the sour demeanor that we as Christians can have? It, you know, it, it seems like the last thing that gets saved sometimes is our face. I mean, seriously. The demeanor, our demeanor, our attitude. How many people do you think would want to be a Christian with the attitude that you have towards life? The, the, how many people do you think would be drawn to Jesus Christ by just looking at your attitude, your, your demeanor? I like the saying that goes, a smile makes people wonder what you're up to. See, Paul had a warmth. He he was gentle. He had a positive attitude that would have drawn you to want to know what he was about. Now, we're never told whether or not Paul ever made it to Spain. The scripture does not tell us that. There are some outside resources that seem to, seem to say that Paul did make it to Spain, that, that after Rome he was released and went on to Spain and came back and was rearrested and after that was beheaded. But Scripture doesn't tell us that. So we're never told whether he ever really realized his dreams. So let me give you four thoughts as we close. The first thought is this. The most satisfying achievements in life are joint effort. Are, are are a joint effort. 
The things that really matter in life are things that God walks with you and leads you into and helps you accomplish. There's also the thing of working together as a church. You know, some of the most empty things we do in life are things we do outside the will of God. Uh, We're left empty. I mean, it doesn't matter how great the achievement is. If God is not in it, it's an empty thing. Secondly, great achievements will never be without hindrances. If you're going to do something great, there's always going to be some things that stop you. The devil isn't worried about the crummy things you do. He's worried about the great things you pull off in life. The things that you do in your walk with God. The, the lives that help that you are conducive into helping you change. Thirdly, we overcome difficulties by keeping our eye on the goal and not on hindrances. Scripture says, a righteous, Jesus said it himself, a righteous man falls seven times and he gets back up. You know, the way we succeed is by keeping getting back up. Get back up. If you fall, get back up. Staying at it. That's the way we succeed in doing, doing wonderful things for the kingdom of God. Fourth, enthusiasm is an essential ingredient of all great accomplishments. Being enthused about something, being enthused about life, being enthused about ministry. People that aren't enthused seldom pull off great things. And the, the, the neat thing is if you're enthused, you'll soon have people following you who are wanting to, who are wanting to help you realize the dream. Can-do attitude. J. Oswald Sander writes of a man called C.H. Nash in one of his books. Nash personally trained over a thousand young men and women for Christian service. At age 70, he retired from his principalship, and he received from the Lord an assurance of further 10 years of fruitful ministry. Between 70 and 80, he learned New Testament Greek and learned how to use it proficiently. 1970 and 80. Close to 90, he finished British historian Arnold Toynbee's sixth volume on history. I think it has 13. And at 90, he led a church in a never-to-be-forgotten prayer of dedication. Here's something I want all you seniors, seniors to get. One of the most destructive things to ministry is what we call retirement. Too many are sitting back when God says, I've still got a mountain for you to climb. Nash, Paul, Caleb would be another good example. They all died climbing. They all died climbing. This morning, the challenge I have for you, I want you to see through these scriptures how important it is for all of you to have a Spain personal. All of us need a Spain, a dream. Secondly, as a church, we all need a Spain together. We need a Spain corporately as a church, a goal, a vision, a dream, and it needs to be a big dream.
needs to be a big thing. Let's pray. Father, we just bow before you this morning and, and uh, at the close, we're grateful for these scriptures. Lord, we're grateful for the, the life of the Apostle Paul, uh, a man misunderstood many times, but a man who's warm, personable, a man who loved the Lord, a man with a vision of a dream. Lord, we're challenged by his life. And Lord, as we consider another year in front of us, we would pray, Father, that you would put a dream in front of each of us, a vision. A vision in which you would be the author and the one who helps us achieve that dream. So Father, this morning we give you the glory. And you receive the honor for these, these scriptures that you've placed in front of us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll turn the time over to you, James.